Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, let me just read it to you. He says, children, it's the last hour. And just as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, even now, he said, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Now, this is in the days of the early church, John's writing this. And he's saying, already they had guys that were antichrists. I mean, they had the true Messiah right there. John said, we witnessed him, we saw him, we touched him. We've seen the true, genuine article. But he identifies we're in the last hour. One of the ways he knew it was the last hour is because all these guys were showing up and they were against Christ, the Antichrist. And he says right here, but you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. What's that anointing he's talking about? The Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Now he says, who is a liar but the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. If someone denies that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one God sent, John would say they got the spirit of the Antichrist. That identifies them right there. And this is the one that denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, as for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. And if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Guys, to understand, the one that confesses the Son, he has the Father. Now, what if they don't confess the Son? But they say, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. John would say, verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. You can't get the Father without the Son. It's a package deal. In fact, they told Jesus, um, could you just show us the Father? And what was his answer? Have I been with you so long a time? Have you seen me? Seen the Father. I came to show you the Father. They were like, just show us the Father. And it will suffice. And he's going, duh. You guys remember in John chapter 10 was about verse 30. He tells the Pharisees, I and the Father are one. He doesn't try to make it a mystery. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I came to show you the Father. I'm on the mission. I came to do his commandment. And his commandment in John's gospel, not here in 1 John, in John's gospel, he says that God's commandment to Jesus was one thing, everlasting life. And just to let you know, look at verse 25. And this is the promise which he himself has made, eternal life, everlasting life. This is God's promise. By the way, some Christians, they don't know to actually default to what Peter calls the hope, the hope what we have. When people say, you know, why are you really into this whole God trip? And I'm like, do you think you're going to live forever? Because I'm pretty sure... There's like a 100% mortality rate for everyone down here. Statistically speaking, you're going to die. 
Now, I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just waking you up spiritually. Like in the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon writes, he says, when you consider all life, you can gain all the riches, you can gain all the stuff, and there is still one fact you can't escape. It applies whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're a man of power or fame, or whether you're just a humble, lowly servant. Every one of us have to face this one fact, we're going to die. And when he writes there in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know, it's actually better for you to go to a funeral, a house of mourning, he calls it, rather than to go to a party, or he calls it a house of feasting. Better to go and be at a funeral than to go to a kegger. Why? He says it in Ecclesiastes. Because this is the end of every person. And the person who looks at that, it says soberly, it wakes up their spirit. They go, you know, that's the end of everybody. How many of you think we're really wired for dead? Like we do death really well. We're gracious. and No. We're horrible with the whole idea of dying. And Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to give you life more abundantly. He didn't come to do death. This is the promise, John says, which God himself has made to us. Eternal life. When people say, why are you so into this Jesus? I'm like, because we're talking eternity. Go to John's gospel. He had the gals come to him. They were saying, if you had just been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. Remember Mary and Martha, the sisters of, of Lazarus? They were like, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. And, and he says to them, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me, even if they do die, they don't die. They will live. They will live with an everlasting life. And he asked them, do you believe this? And the girls were like, well, we're trying to. Why weren't you here earlier? I mean, you kind of get from reading it. They understood that he could heal people when they were sick. What they didn't understand that, that I like to point out is Jesus didn't only do illness or demons or sickness. Jesus did dead. Dead didn't even phase him. Like he didn't go, oh my, Lazarus is dead. I can't do anything about it. He's like, all right, show me where you laid him. They take him to the tombs, right? Thankfully, Jesus very carefully cried out, Lazarus, come forth, because if he would have just shouted, come forth in a graveyard, what would have happened? All the graves would have popped open, and they would have just come boom, out walking. You guys realize he had that power to command life even into dead bones. That's the power of God. You know, we read about in the book of Ezekiel, that the Lord will cry out to this valley of dead bones and he'll just speak. And what will happen? The bones will reassemble one to another. They'll get sinew on them. Then the sinew will get muscle. The muscle will get skin. And then the breath of God will bring them back to life. How many believe God can put dead bones back together? He goes, oh, this is really hard. It's like a puzzle. I don't know how to put these little... Wait, was that an ankle bone goes to the shin bone? Shin bone goes to the knee? Wait, do you think it really freaks out the Lord? John chapter 11. Martha said, I know in the resurrection we will rise again on that day. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, this is John eleven twenty-five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will never 
die. What is he promising? Life eternal. This is the hope. What Peter says, when someone asks you, why are you a Christian? He said, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within your heart. Well, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, this body we're living in is a tent, but God has an upgrade. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. What does Paul call those new bodies waiting for us? Not made by man's hand, building made by God. And just to let you know, I like his word picture here. Can you picture a mansion? If Paul calls this body a tent for your spirit, he says God has a building he's making for you, eternal in the heavens. We're upgrading. Anyone want an upgraded body made by God? And just to let you know what he likens it to, this one's the tent, that one's called the mansion. I know some people, they always think of buildings as the mansion. Read the scripture, you'll find out he's talking about a serious upgrade to what we're dwelling in down here. We're going to have bodies that are incorruptible without pain, no more suffering. John said in 1 John, the promise of God is eternal life. Why don't we just tell people like it is? He promised it, and if they get mad at you, oh yeah, so holy, talking about eternal life, and you have it. Well, dude, I didn't write this scripture. I'm just telling you what he promised. And if you don't like it, take it up with him. Go ahead, tell him you're mad at him. I'm mad at you. You're trying to give out eternal life. Go ahead, shake your fist at him a little. Can you just imagine your God just watching it going, wow, look at that little one. They're trying to give me eternal life. I don't want it. I won't make you take it. You know, have you ever noticed that sometimes people, before they yield their life over to the Lord, they fight a little, they buck a little, wave their hand. You're so mean. Yeah, he's really a meanie in the sky, isn't he? Trying to give out eternal life. See, the problem why people think he's mean is because they've had a misrepresentation of what he's trying to give. They're not being told the hope that lies within us as believers. When we share the hope that we have, that hope of all my sins are completely forgiven. Christ came to completely remove my sin and to grant to me everlasting life. If we would just stick to the hope, this is what we're hoping for. People, I think, would go, I need that. They don't need the religious judgment that some people have, this arrogance, this holier than thou. Any of you experienced the holier than thou's? Not a lot of them come here because they look at us and go, you don't dress nice enough. We're not coming to your church. Does God give a rip what we're wearing? No. Somebody forgot what this whole thing's about. The point. We're talking eternal life, not what we wear. By the way, God does not care what you're wearing. He looks at your heart. And let me show you. John was a pastor and exposed to many a sincere believer and insincere. I know that because when I read ahead in this book, I'm like, yeah, some of the reasons he writes, he's going to go on. We went over some of them, but there's more to come. In fact, let me just show you this one. Verse 26. Here's another reason. You can put a little R next to this for reason. Verse 26. That John says he's writing to us. I've written to you concerning those that are trying to deceive you. He's not hiding the fact that there are guys that try to deceive people. He says, I'm writing because there are those guys out there. Verse 27. As for you, you have the anointing, that anointing which you received. 
from him. And that anointing, it says, abides in you. His spirit, he's talking about. You know that God's spirit stays with you wherever you go? If no one else is around and you try to do something, you're tempted to do something wrong. Have any of you been completely alone? No one's around and still there was a voice that went, <clears throat> don't do it. Yeah, but no one's here. No one will see. And God goes, I'm here. And I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about that inner man that says, oh, every single person in this world has experienced that voice. Now, whether they listen to that, whether they yield when that voice says, don't do it. And if you continue to press on and keep doing that sin, what that spirit is saying, don't do, eventually you sear your conscience to the Holy Ghost. You get in a place where even if he was shouting, you don't hear it. You have quenched the spirit of God. John knew that God gave that spirit, that anointing to every believer. His spirit is with all of you to abide, to remain with you. Now, this is the verse hated by all cult leaders. Every cult leader will not teach this verse. Guaranteed. You know why? Let me read it to you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him, it abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true about all things, that it will not lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. His anointing teaches you to abide in Christ. The Holy Ghost is the one that gives that anointing. He comes and he says, just stick with Jesus. Abide. Remain. In fact, if you remain with Jesus, he says, you abide in me, I'll abide in you. If you just stay with Jesus, he will stay with you.
Now, is that important to teach that they need to stick with Jesus? Wherever they go, whatever thing they face in this life, just stay with the Lord. Remain with him. Now, we just studied, don't love the world, nor the things of the world. Yet, when Jesus prayed this, what's referred to in, in Bible school as his high priestly prayer, it's actually his prayer. We should call it truly the Lord's prayer. John 17, he prays for the church. He says, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You're like, what? I'd like it better if you prayed me out of here. That, that's my commentary on that verse. Anyone here thought it'd be nice if the Lord just take us out sometimes? Take me home, Lord. Has anyone had a bad enough day where you've actually prayed that? Like, Lord, this would be a good day. You know, those of you that have faced chemo or some horrific things that your body has gone through suffering, you might be able to identify with me when I say there have been days that death looked like a better friend than living because living just meant vomiting and hurting and pain. You know, dying sounded good. I'm just telling you, that's how bad the pain was. And I got a promise of eternal life. And that sounded really good. When you're in a really bad way, the hope that we have, it becomes even brighter. The darker our circumstance, the brighter that hope becomes. And everlasting life starts sounding really good. John says, you have an anointing. And that anointing teaches you. Now, why would a cult leader not want me to teach you this verse? It says right here, you have no need for anyone to teach you because who does the job? The Holy Ghost. And see, cult leaders don't want to teach you that you could actually learn everything you need for your walk from God's Spirit. Because God's Spirit, is He a good teacher? Does He know how like, to customize the lesson for each pupil? They say that individualized teaching is the most powerful form of teaching. What I'm doing right now, teaching to a whole group of you, this is not the most effective way to teach. The most effective way to teach is one-on-one -on -one customize the lesson for that individual student. What are you going through? What do you need to know? And who better knows what we need to know than the Holy Spirit of God? He knows exactly what each one of you need. And see, the cult leaders said, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. You don't need anyone to teach you. We want to teach you. Cult leaders like, I want to be the one that tells you what you got to do. And I'm going to be lording over you. And I'll make sure you do what I say. They don't want you to yield to the Spirit of God leading you. They want to be the one leading you. But a true teacher of the Word will point out this verse so that you recognize no matter where you are, no matter if anyone is around, she said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I am with you to the ends of the age. I'm going to be with you to the very end. And His Spirit does the sweetest thing. He teaches us whatever we need to know. He's there for us. He's true. He doesn't lie. Now, little children, listen to verse 28. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Righteousness in the Bible means to be in right standing with our maker. 
It means to be in the right place with him. Our righteousness is because of Christ. Because of Christ, we are made in right standing with our creator. And our righteousness is based on what he did, not us. What he performed, not me. He did everything to make me right before God. When he hung on the cross, last three words he said is, it is finished. I paid it all. I have paid the requirement of the law for all their sins. And that's what Christ did. Now he says, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, now how many believe Jesus is going to come again? Who taught us it? Where did it come from? Jesus. In fact, if you don't like the idea of Jesus' second coming, don't get mad at me. You just shake your little fist at God all you want. I'm mad at you because you came up with this idea that you're sending Jesus again. By the way, in John 14, when it says, in my father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you so that I might come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I want you to be with me. I'm going to go make a place for you. I'm going to be back to get you. Who came up with the idea of Jesus coming back? Jesus. Let me see. Is he credible? Should I trust him for my theological viewpoints? My doctrinal, foundational truth? Absolutely. If he says he'll be back, he'll be back. When did John write this? Was this written like 100 years ago? thousand years ago try almost two thousand years ago and he thought it was the last hour back then and people say you don't really think he's coming soon i'm telling you if he thought it was the last hour almost two thousand years ago we're in the last minute forget hour maybe we should say the last 10 seconds i don't know how much time we have but i know that the scripture says no man knows the day or the hour of the coming of the son of man except the father Jesus said, not even the son knows. Only when the father tells me, that's when I go. But I'll tell you some signs of the times. They're going to have wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famines and earthquakes. And these are merely the beginning of birth pangs, like a woman when she goes in travail, how her contractions get stronger and closer together and more intense and the duration lengthens and the amount of time between shortens. You know, when a woman goes into labor... For midwives, folks that have been around hospital folks, they don't go, well, no baby's coming. They know delivery is imminent. John said we're in the last hour back then. We got to be in at least the last minutes. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. I fear no foe.